Hey everyone, welcome back to Hunger the Podcast. My name is Marcus, one of the hosts of this podcast, and uh, I always host this podcast with my partner, Candice, who unfortunately is unable to be with us today. She's under the weather today, not feeling well, uh, but I am not alone because today's episode is a special one. I am sitting down with a good friend of ours. Her name is Martine De Luna. And she's going to share her story of navigating and healing from spiritual harm, both in a church setting and also a new age community setting. But before we get into that, I just want to take a moment to promote a few things. Number one, the app. Now, here's the deal, you guys. I was actually having this conversation with Candice just yesterday. We love talking about religious trauma and supporting survivors of religious trauma. And one of the goals that we have is to be able to offer support and resources without having to charge a lot of money. Now, of course, we do have to have a price on the content that we upload because we want to do this full time. And in order to be able to dedicate ourselves full time to providing this type of resource, we need to make enough income so that we can provide for our family as we dedicate all of our time to this space. However, our goal, as I mentioned already, is to make this as accessible and affordable as possible because we recognize that a lot of times the mental health industry is very inaccessible to people who don't have a lot of money. And one of the ways in which we are aiming to create this content and offer these resources at low cost is through our app, Hunger, the devotional app. For only $5 a month, you have access to devotional plans, Bible courses, and coming soon, meditations and reflections. Now, again, you get all of that for just $5 a month through our app, Hunger, which is available for Android and Apple. And if you've been wondering whether or not to download the app, or maybe you've downloaded it, but you haven't subscribed yet, we really want to encourage you to do so. Because the more paid subscribers we have on that app, the more resources we can create at low cost. And that's really our goal. Because again, we want all of this content to be accessible to everyone, especially those who need it the most. So please consider downloading the app and subscribing today. Now, with that said, you can go on our website and we have a series of workshops that we are releasing every week. In fact, tomorrow I'm going to be releasing a brand new workshop titled Rest, the Seven Healing Teachings of Jesus. And this workshop is four videos that I did with life coach Joel Brown that explore the journey of healing from damaging lies about God. And you can purchase these workshops directly from our website, usually about $45 per series. However, all of those workshops are also available on that same app at no extra cost. So once again, we're just doing everything we can to make this as affordable and accessible for you. So please make sure you download that app. And when you do, make sure you like and leave a comment on the app store because that really helps other people notice the app as well. All right. Now that I got all of that out of the way, we are ready to get into the focus of today's episode. And that is my interview with Martine DeLuna. Martine, welcome to the podcast. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about the legend of Martine DeLuna. <laughs> well, Martine DeLuna is 
first a wife and a mom. And I know there's story around that, why that introduction is there. But I actually always wanted to be a wife and a mom because my mom was a wife and a mom, homemaker. Um, but I'm also a coach to women who are actually navigating, um, yeah, these minefields of like recovering from uh, distortions around femininity and being a woman, uh, being a mother, being a working mother. Um, and I've been doing that for the last 13 years now. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, yeah wow. I've been a women's coach for 13 years and I sort of started off as a mommy blogger. Like, I don't know if the kids of this generation know what that is, but basically I was part of the golden age of women who are on laptops writing late at night while yep. breastfeeding about being a mom. And then somehow people around the world discovered our writing and um, we kind of like started the first generation of the influencer. So Wow, yeah. look at that, man. That's a great <laughs> title. Like, Before social media. Influencers, we got right? you going. Yeah, we, we got the them reading about our... We got them reading about our late nights and about like self-worth and can I really be a mom? So that's, you know, how yeah. I came into also like the, the coaching world, because through this writing, through telling my story, women started to reach out to me and said, hey, you know, like your struggles as a work at home mom are something that I'm going through. And could you could you just help me? Could you just talk to me? Um, and that evolved, interestingly, in 2012 to doing local events kind of like hold space for women who were like me, had young children and were working from home like online. Um, and that evolved into helping women create digital platforms and websites. And eventually when social media started to um, emerge, consulting women on how to, and coaching women on how to be on social media. So I've pretty much um, been that the last 13 years um, and mom to two kids um, and married to uh, my husband for the last 16 years this, this year as of this yep, recording. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> well, a lot of what you've just said, Martine, it, it, it really ties into your story. And yes, uh, yeah. for those, for those who, who are just listening to this. So uh, Martine, we've been friends for a few years now. And yes. we actually connected through your sort of coaching space and the coaching world. I think Joel Brown was sort of like our mutual. He is our, yeah, point. he's our mutual yeah, yeah. mentor. That's yeah, right. yeah. Cause yeah. he was my coach in 2021, like when I did his influential coach certification. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. shout out Love to Joel, Joel Brown. Yeah. yeah shout, shout out, out to, to Joel, Joel Brown, um, who's, who's definitely still like, crazy active in the coaching, you know, training coaches and getting mm. coaches to get their businesses going space. Um, so, so we connected through him, but the conversation that we connected through was, was a religious trauma conversation. And you shared your story yeah. uh, with, with me at that time. And that's, that's, that's why Candace and I, we were talking about, Hey, as we're doing this podcast series, it'd be really great to have some stories some people who come along and share their stories and I immediately said, Martine, we got to get Martine out here because your story is a really, really powerful story, not only of religious trauma, um, mm. the experience, but also of life after religious trauma and the processing and healing yes. that you've been through. So let, let's take us back in time mm. 
Mm. Yeah, as far back as you'd like to go. Um, yeah, yeah. And so walk while us through I'm... your experience, yeah, in, in the okay. church, etc. Yep. All right. So while I'm sharing this, I just have to note that my daughter's turning nine this year, like on Wednesday, and I was nine when I was born again, right? Okay. <laughs> I was tender age of nine, and I remember it was 1987. We were living in Hong Kong at the time. So just as a background, I'm an expat kid. Like I didn't grow up in my home country. My dad would be assigned by, um, he was an investment banker. So he would be assigned every five years to a new country and work the ground there as a, uh, in the stock market. And so with that also came this culture of like church planting. Now this is interesting because we were always like Catholics, like Roman Catholics, as many in the Philippines are. So I'm, by the way, I'm from the Philippines. I grew up Filipino, although my accent might have people wondering, like, you don't sound like you grew up in the Philippines. <laughs> I didn't. You grew up in Singapore and Hong Kong and traveling between those two countries um, often. And so in Hong Kong in 1987, there was a wave of the charismatic Catholic renewal that was going on. It was very similar to what you might um, remember as like the Pentecostal revivals of the 80s and yeah, the 70s. Yeah. So that reached Hong Kong and it reached my family who was in this, you know, like Catholics go to their parish church, right? And so my mom experienced a, in our language, a revival, right? So she was prayed over. She received like um, what I came to learn were the spiritual gifts, you know, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, tongues and all of that, laying on of hands. And so at nine, I started seeing all of these manifestations of deliverance and all of these things very young. And I just thought, okay, well, that's what my parents are doing. And I, and I suppose we're just going to go and follow along with mm. that. And um, that, that, started an era of within the Catholic Church planting these charismatic communities inside of um, offices, inside mm -hmm. of small companies, um, and in our case, inside the Filipino community in Hong Kong, and eventually in Singapore. So I was used to Monday nights, people going to our house and doing Bible study, like married couples, or like another day, a bunch of single women, you know, there were just these niches that were doing Bible study with my mom and dad. And I thought that that was just like normal, you know, this is just what they love to do. So around 13, when I was, you know, like when you're in middle school and you like just have all the feelings and you have your first crush and you have your, you know, you become a woman, right? <laughs> a young woman. I started to become very um, confused because when you're a child, you don't really ask questions about what your parents are doing. But when I entered into like my teenage years, that's when I started to kind of compare, like our family is not like other Christian or Catholic families out there. Like my mom and my dad were kind of like pseudo pastors in the evangelical model of things. Mm. But we were Roman Catholic, so we'd go to Mass on Sundays, and then on the other weekdays, there would be, eventually, every weekday was filled with some kind of community event for this Catholic charismatic lay community that we were a part of. Mm. So I was 13, and I wondered, 
why can't I go to house parties? Like all the kids my age, right? Why can't I um, do this, that, or the other? And it's because, you know, like we're setting a standard, Romans 12, you know, we're supposed to be set apart, all of the things, right? And so I I started to struggle with that difference as a teenager, as we all do um, around that time. Fast forward to when I was around um, 18, 19 years old, and that was here already. We had been relocated in the Philippines, and um, there was no more planting going on of like these mini communities, but we had been absorbed into like a, in our lingo now, kind of like a mega church Mm. um, kind of structure within the Catholic church. So I'm just giving everyone the context of what I was inside of. So usually when you think Catholic, you think Sunday mass and our fathers and Hail Marys. Mm. We had that. And we had the evangelical <laughs> model of the megachurch to live inside of as a daily yeah. experience. Yeah. So Which is a great coming... thing to clarify, because like you said, most people don't yeah. think of that when they think they of don't. Catholics. Yeah. Uh, they usually so we think were... of, you know, like the 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 sort of smoke, what was it called? Yeah. The, the urn and, uh, you know, incense. the priests and the incense. And the incense. they don't generally think of yeah. charismatic, energetic, traditional. No. Yeah. They don't usually think of that. So, yeah, it's yeah. a good point to clarify. Yeah. So we were, like I said, we were, my parents were planting these communities that were little um, Bible study slash worship services, kind of like your, your regular evangelical weekend service, right? Mm. But within the umbrella of the, the Roman Catholic Church. So it was really interesting because to me, this was just like normal. Like it, it's just what I grew up inside of. I had no idea at that time that there were all these denominations and all these 35,000 different versions of what it is to be a Christian until I was around 18. And I sort of had this curiosity of, okay, what in the world am I involved with? Like, what am I doing here? And interestingly enough, Um, we were homeschooled by that time. So when we were growing up as expat kids, we went to regular, regular school, regular, you know, like um, uh, education. And then when we came back here and were reabsorbed into kind of like this mega church type of um, community, we were also homeschooled. Nothing bad about homeschooling, by the way, I homeschool my own children, but same here. (laughs) There was an extra layer to, to, to that because of the kind of community that Hmm. we found ourselves in. So it was your typical um, structure of a community that was run by, in my language, a first family that kind of influenced influenced like the culture of all the families inside of that um, community. And I'm differentiating it from church and community just because in the Catholic Church, the context is your church is your parish. Mm. You go to like the formal mass um, there to practice your religion. And then you have supplemental evangelical um, missional type activities like the kinds we were engaged in. So um, Monday, same Monday night Bible study, Tuesday night worship service, Wednesday, you'd go and volunteer for something or another, some other ministry. Thursdays, we'd have spiritual warfare. And then Fridays, we'd have youth night, which is when for us in particular, and uh, my brothers who were also like serving in ministry with me, it, it just, it just, it just took up 
all of our experience, right? Um, and then it was really interesting because it felt like that was our entire world, but then there was a bigger world outside of that that we weren't allowed to be in, right? Essentially, that was the those were the words like, no, you're not supposed to um, associate with the world. There, there was all this like, that's the secular world and here we are set apart and we are inviting people into this world mm. to be saved by Jesus and, you know, your regular um, evangelical missional speak and context of what it means to be saved. Yeah, Because in the Catholic Church, we already are saved, right? You mm -hmm. know, by in infant baptism and then confirmation. Yeah. And then here, there was that, that layer of, which I didn't know, at least as a Catholic, was like a Protestant mm. um, application and theological approach. But then I came to realize, oh, that's what it is. It's kind of like we're married. We're like a hybrid yeah, of yeah. the empire <laughs> church, which yeah. spread across Europe and made my own country a colonized nation under Spain mm. and under the Vatican, right? And you have the missional church, which the Americans brought in and yeah. the Australian missionaries and all of the other amalgamations of the missional church. So between 18 and 25, I was like just uncovering and, and like researching, you know, pre-Google, mm. right? Um, all of these things. And it was so very interesting to me because um, while I was researching the roots and the backgrounds, even before I met all of you, um, I was already having a lot of confliction, a lot of doubts, a lot of pain, but I couldn't share it with anyone. And so I just went through the motions. I was 23 when I Kissed Dating Goodbye came out. And change the Purity dating culture, culture here. Oh boy! <laughs> oh yeah! And so my now husband and I navigated that. Like we felt so bad having feelings for each other because we weren't, at least in our community, twenty-five. You know, and mm. you're not supposed to like date until you're twenty-five because you have to, you know, like finish college and get a job and like establish yourself before you can even think of somebody romantically. Like there were these very specific rules and um, norms that were supposed to form you into exemplary compliance with them. Otherwise, you were not like a optimal Christian. You were not yeah. an ideal Christian. So, so there yeah. was that script that you had. There to... was a formula, a template, yeah. a script. Yeah. And then there was always this and this was the strange thing in my experience, which I've shared with, with you in our own like mentorship, kind of like you had no autonomy unless and until you were templated to whatever the formula was of like this first family that was running this organization, there was something wrong with you, right? Mm -hmm. So autonomy was frowned upon or yeah. personal sovereignty was frowned upon. Even scriptural, you know, like reading and how you were to do that um, was also very much programmed, like read three chapters a day because there are three meals in a day. I'm like that, that, that stringent and that rigid. And I yeah. just grew up thinking that's just how we do it. You know, the B-I-B-L-E, the, the formula so <laughs> that you can be, you know, one day 
prepackaged into this perfect Christian yeah. that God will admit into heaven one day. Yeah. So, and, and I just want to point out before you, yeah. you keep going, something that's really essential. And I think this is what I love about this conversation, because I grew up in a fundamentalist Seventh-day Adventist church. Mm. You, you cannot get any further away from Catholicism and charismatic Pentecostalism <laughs> than Seventh-day oh. Adventist fundamentalism, like polar opposites. Wow. However, wow. I relate to everything you're saying. The same experience, right? The negation of autonomy, the negation of agency, the control, the strictness, the template, the script, the, yeah. this is what it means to be a holy person. And this mm. is what it means to be a worldly person. And mm. you don't associate with those people over there because they're not Adventists. We tended to go a little bit further. You didn't just not associate with secular people. You didn't associate with those people who go to church on Sunday. You know, there was like all this, yeah, even, I've heard even, other, that. even other Christians, you know, so so much of what you're saying, despite the fact that we're in polar opposite, you know, you could say expressions of Christianity, the fundamental premise that leads to religious trauma is identical in both scenarios, it right? Is. And that is, and this is what I've, one of the things I try and get across to people is the most basic ingredient that leads to religious trauma is the negation of agency, control, yes, coercion, absolutely. right? That is the most mm -hmm. basic ingredient. And the most basic ingredient that leads to a transformational and healthy spirituality is empowerment. When the yes. individual's agency and autonomy is empowered, those are the two things that separate them. Anyways, I, I just, just wanted to jump in there just to point that out because a lot of people yeah. listening to this come from different backgrounds. You know, we've got mm -hmm. people from Pentecostal churches, Adventist churches, even people who don't go to church at all, who come from new age backgrounds, which, which is part mm -hmm. of your story too. So we're getting there. We're getting there. But, yeah. <laughs> but the, the thing is like, whenever you have this culture of coercion control, these mm -hmm. scripts that everyone must comply with, it yeah. doesn't matter what your surface differences are. Mm. underneath you're all going to experience the same harm and and i think exactly. that's an important thing to point out yeah yeah it's the it, it's the same kind of distortion that's implanted right in inside of inside of your your psyche essentially because whatever you whatever you, basically you run as a program in the psyche that's your experience. That's your matrix mm -hmm. that you birth, right? And you live inside of. So for me, it was like um, up till the, this went on, by the way, until the age of like 29. So like good, a good 20 years living mm -hmm. inside of this experience. And um, when I was 29, I had gotten married by that time. So we did it. We did, we did the whole like shebang, like courtship, do it properly you know, so that you can be this, um, this model of like, this is more of like the Ephesians 5 model of like what you're supposed to be as a as a member of, of that community that we're a part of, which is, again, kind of like this evangelical-esque persuasion <laughs> type of community that was still under the dome of like the Catholic Church. So very interesting. And so we did it. We, we did it all prescriptively. But I knew that my husband and I, especially my husband, were already kind of like on the way out of this template like way of living. And it was in 2010 um, when we did leave that church that we met at. We met there. We were at the youth ministry and inside the worship team together, like 
I'm I'm the one who married the drummer. (laughs) (laughs) She married the drummer. He was the drummer and I was the keyboardist, right? Nice. Fact, you know, like interesting <laughs> fact, like music brings people together. It's true. Yes. Um, but like we left while I was um, when my son was around six months. So we um, were like, OK, I think we can make a conscious decision that we're not raising our children here, not the way that we were raised. So that for me was like the first breaking out of the paradigm in the psyche that I won't be OK if I leave, because for like almost a decade again, since I was 18 and I was 29 when we left, like physically explanted ourselves from the community. I had so much confliction and I had so much fear. How can I leave a place that I have all, a world that I have always known? And I remember you were telling me before that that's how a lot of people who grew up like in very, um, I'm going to use a word here, cult-like environments um, feel like, because it is a world that you, it's a matrix that you escape out of and mm-hmm. you decide to explant your yourself out of. So I felt like our marriage was really what allowed us to create our own vision for what we wanted our family to be. And then the explant was kind of like the natural progression into that to really have agency as a as a family like as the deluna family and not like mm. the one of the families inside of this um community that had a formula and a template for how the families ought to be yeah yeah um, and that's a that's a really important point i just want to highlight that the because mm. this is true in 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 cults in cult like environments so there's a difference there um, and also in high yes. control religious environments. So there's sort of three three dimensions that these sort of traumatic religious communities manifest in. That is one of the keys is that a person's entire support network, their social network is exclusively the group. Why? Because the group constantly discourages. And in extreme cases, like a cult, it puts actual blockages in place mm. to separate you from yeah. other people. And so when you get to the point where you're like, you want to leave, and oftentimes it's wives in these communities who suffer the most, because a lot of times they're they're not encouraged to work or they're just discouraged to have their own careers, to Mm, have their own income. So when it comes time to leave, they have no financial backing of their own, and they have no social network outside of the group that Mm. is telling them they can't leave, so they're stuck. You know, yeah, and so yeah. this is an important, and we're going to explore this more in future, in the future, uh, on our on our program, um, yeah. because these are like really, really damaging layers for a lot of people. They just they feel stuck and they feel like they can't go anywhere, and and all of this usually results from these very stringent social networks that are yeah. engineered in high control religions. So, anyways, just just keep going. I just wanted yeah. to point that out. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, definitely, because I want to stress that what I was a part of was not like a a clinical definition of a cult, but mm-hmm. it was very cult-like because of this, especially for those of you who were in service, like um, when I say service, I mean volunteers, right? Like non-paid volunteers, not on staff. Um, there was just a, like a guilt mechanism, if you, if you will, like mm-hmm. a guilt mechanism that was in place like, oh yeah, sure. You can go to this vacation or you can go to this, um, dinner with your friends, but oh, you know, like you know, that might affect like your your you being called to service like the next time or whatever. There was that, that layer of that, like that kind of 
you know, I, I call it like a slow dagger like <laughs> digging into, into yeah. you of guilt. Um, but it was not one of these high control mm. um, clinically, like clinical definition of, of that culture. Yeah. But it felt that way, mm. again, because of the the imprints and and the program running in my psyche at the time. So we left. And when we left, we weren't chased down. We weren't like, followed by anybody or um, we weren't bath-mouthed by the organization to kind of like protect their members. No, we just left. And and then I went down more of like a path of the entrepreneurial world because, you know, this was like um, my first foray into freelancing and having my, um, you know, kind of like having my opportunity to be a work-at-home mom, which... Um, was something I had always wanted to, you know, to to do. And not, not that the previous community ever prevented that. It was just my own mind, right, saying, well, if I really trusted God, I would trust my husband, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and then, our, but, but then finally, you know, like I had about a year outside of this environment, I feel like I had a clear head to make my own choices of how, my husband and I were going to navigate the family. So I was, I was working from home and he had his own like um, uh, work that he was doing also to uh, basically enact the provider role. Right. Anyway, um, that's when I found personal development, right. And the coaching world um, whilst I was writing for myself and writing about being a work at home mom. um, But what was, so first of all, I want to preface, I was not deep inside the tantric, yin-yang, oriental, eastern persuasion of the new age, mm. which is what I call the co-opted, uh, <laughs> the co-opted global south and um, yep. like or- oriental lineages that are actually very rightful in my culture, but have been mm-hmm. distorted by the West, right? That's right. Appropriated not- by, yeah. Yeah, like very much. So I was not part of like, I had no interest in plant medicine circles and shamanism. I had no interest in that. But I was very interested in like, um, manifestation in like, um, I guess it's also because subconsciously inside of the community that I was in the prosperity gospel was a huge distortion that I grew up with, right. And so the shadow of that reflected on my interest in the manifestation and wealth codes and abundance category, subcategory of the, the personal development world. So, um, and there's so much context that I have to put into this because people like Bob Proctor, for instance, who was a personal mentor of mine, who I love as like a grandfather figure, mm. um, they they would teach very universal principles, you know, like universal intelligence and new thought and, and um, Neville Goddard concepts and all of those things, which um, for me was like very familiar to what I grew up with in the prosperity gospel lineage of preaching. And at the same time, because I was in control, like I was in control of my manifestation. What's the saying there in the secret, your thoughts create your reality or whatever. So I bought into that. So that's the sect in the new age that I kind of latched onto. And it really appealed to me. And especially because you were like, you were thirsting for agency. 
and this promised I you was. a spirituality where you were in control and nobody else was telling you you ha you exactly. have to follow this script right so and i think that's why new age is appealing to a lot of people yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it was mostly the yeah it was mostly like the, the the manifestation lineages of personal development that i found myself very curious about and then there wasn't really a interest to go into what i call the love and light new age which is kind of like this um buffet of appropriated um cultural <laughs> um uh, practices um because well first of all there was also that there was also i think i i always had a compassion for basically colonized cultures like mine mm -hmm. right i'm like that's you know that's not how it's supposed to be like when i'd look at a plant yeah. medicine ceremony and i'd look at be all white people and mm -hmm locals couldn't even afford to go to these retreats I'd be like girl I see right through that you know yeah. so I never really got into like the high level masterminds in Costa Rica and things like that because um, there was already a a sense of that's also not the way mm. but um, at the same time you know kind of like very much appealing to the global west type of um capitalist um let's just say it also like mind control structures that prey on like a pyramid scheme of like coaching mm -hmm. and paying your coach more money and paying more money into a high level mastermind so that you could make more money um i that's kind of like where i went i kind of like went astray with that and got addicted to success success in air quotes mm -hmm. um that way and that brought me down to like a um kind of like the well thankfully that's also where i found joel honestly yeah. you know because he was <laughs> in that world too and yeah. i i started to follow joel and his um his work and i said you know this is really interesting because here's a guy who believes in god and he looks like he's a christian and i was just at that time getting back to being comfortable with reading the Bible again and not, you know, kind of like not buying into the whole, like, I don't want to be programmed again. I don't want to be traumatized again. So I was in this kind of like tightrope of, can you be abundant and not prey on people? Can you be successful in business and not use the scripts of like just give to the kingdom mm -hmm. so god can bless you abundantly can you manifest like is that a real can is is god really in me <laughs> you know yeah. it was it was a whole hot mess of things inside the personal development new age world right but what brought me to i think a state of like more resting phase more of like my nervous system calming down um was ironically the unknown god podcast right um and that was you two that was the two of you and this is not to put you up on a pedestal or anything but i had never really had any christians articulate my own journey and the nuances of that journey with precision Mm. And I thought that the way that you extrapolated it, especially since I'd read your book too, you know, The Road, like the yeah. first version of that. Um, first of all, I, I always 
always look back at my deconstruction as I'm some crazy person here. Like I'm 18 and I'm now 29 and I still don't know all the answers to what I'm supposed to be <laughs> and supposed to do. I'm just going to opt out of this. And I, I literally from 2010 to 2016, I was just like, I'm not thinking about God. I'm just going to figure out if God is in me, like these gurus are saying, like Neville Goddard is saying, like the God within, you know, the kingdom of God is within. And, and that's what you use to create your reality. So I realized that my deepest desire was really never to abandon Jesus at the root of it all. Like mm. I had always had a relating with Jesus in a very innocent childlike way. Right. And I didn't, that's the, probably the only thing that I didn't let go of or release. Like I released going to mass. I released going to Bible study. I released tithing. I released all of the cultural aspects of being a good Christian, but I still had my moral compass. <laughs> I still had my, you know, I still saw the utility in virtue. I think that's why Jordan Peterson helped me a lot too. To kind of like his map of meanings and his whole series on YouTube about the Bible, which is more of like a psychology lens, not really a theology one. But I always found myself rooting into Jesus and into um, what I had always um, learned through Jesus. But I never had people who said that that was okay. Mm. You know, yeah. like I yeah. think I said to you once. Uh, John Crowder, who is a, another phenomenal teacher, more of towards kind of like the mystic lineage. But he said something like, there are many of us who are ecclesiastically homeless, but we are actually home with Christ. And I thought mm. that psh, that's <laughs> phenomenal, like without yeah. denying my theology that I, you know, that 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 gives me my frame of existence. Right. And without making me feel like I'm a pariah because I can't find a church that's right for me or I can't find yeah. a service that's right for me. And that's so important to point out because we, we've actually yeah. got an episode coming up on when it's like, I think it's titled something along the three signs it's time for you to leave church. Right? Mm. And, and I, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because this is a part of the journey that needs to be normalized. Like there, it's hundred percent okay. And I say this like I'm 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 a pastor, right? Like yeah. I'm not a not a paid employed pastor anymore, but I still pastor. Yeah. I still have a church plant that I work with, etc. And yeah. and so it's not every day you hear a pastor say it, but like so here I go. I'm gonna say it. It's it's okay to say, hey, there's this season where I'm just gonna unplug. And I love the fact that you can articulate it so beautifully that you just you 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 released all of these things. You, yeah. you, you, your heart kept holding on to Jesus because you knew there was a, uh, there was something there, but you just released everything else. And then you went on your journey. And I think we need to yeah. normalize that because so long as your journey, so long as your healing journey is determined or predetermined by a template that I have for you, you're never going to be able to actually heal. Right. Yeah. And that's what a yeah. lot of Christians do. It's like, oh, you can go on your healing journey, but here's my template for how you should do it. And you can't mm. do it outside of this. It's like, that doesn't, that doesn't work, man. <laughs> you know, no. It, maybe it'd be cool if it did, but it doesn't work. A person has yeah. to have the capacity, the freedom to say, this is what the template's going to look like for me and God. And we're going to go yes. on this, you know? Yes. 
Yeah. And yeah. I think it's, it's really hard for us to even receive that as fundamentally true because we grow we grew up like in in templated fundamentalist structures that made you feel if you go there mm -hmm. if some if you have your own template that's wrong yeah. you know because you're outside of the fold you're not in, in in the language that I grew up in you're not in exemplary compliance now that I'm where I am I'm like compliance to what <laughs> you know what's <Yeah>. <laughs> compliant to like, I didn't even know that's such and, a such a um what's the word I'm looking for that's such a uh sort of like oh, what's the what's that phrase like uh executive <laughs> or you know when you think of like a big company like you know oh yeah 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 um oh my god it's, yeah it's, it's, such it's, a, it's a corporate term it's it, a corporate that's the word term. i'm looking for corporate it's such a corporate it's term. corporate it's yeah, so it's out of place term. within the spiritual community right it's like exemplary yeah. compliance like what yeah <laughs> yeah it was almost like in a manual mm. like i remember i had a piece of paper when I was going to be initiated into like a higher level of commitment, it had on that paper, uh, this is when I was still in that, in that Catholic charismatic community. It's like exemplary compliance to all of the community's norms. And I had like no idea what that meant. Mm -hmm. All I knew in my body was that doesn't feel that, that, that doesn't feel right. Yeah. You know, it doesn't feel like it's going to help me. It feels scary. Mm. So um, when I remember that felt sense, when, when that happened, I can, I can tu tune into that felt sense intuitively when I'm discerning something. Like for instance, yeah. um, when I'm discerning something now, when it comes to my children, a decision for their education or something like that. I always like pray. I'm like, like Holy Spirit, like just give me a felt sense that this is you, or that the, that there's that peace that surpasses all understanding and it underlies this decision. Yeah. If the sensation that I felt when I recall the mo that that paper and looking at those words, exemplary compliance to the norms, I'm like okay, no, this is a no from, <laughs> from the Holy Spirit, or this yeah. is a no for my child because, you know, my children are still children and sometimes the decision falls on me to decide on their education or, or whatever, you know, um, yeah. a decision that I have to make as a parent. So when I teach people that, I'm like, what's the felt sense? Some Christians are like, what? You don't mm -hmm. listen to your feelings. Stop listening to your feelings. And I'm like, it's okay. You know, mm. let me tell you what, the, let me, yeah. let me explain to you what that experience is for me. Yeah. And when I explain sometimes about the felt sense, you know, and some Christians will cringe at that. They're like, oh, you know, that's following your heart. And I'm like, your heart is good. Like, <laughs> your heart is with God, you know, so you can kind of like follow it, but not in this Hollywood romanticized connotation of what mm we as evangelical christians thought it was or meant yeah. it meant it was right but when you follow your heart and you are following in this in this agency with christ um and i'm going to use some words here you actually can't be wrong mm. right because um and again this is not i'm not talking about like morality wise i'm talking about i know the experience of me as one who is with God. I know that anytime I make a decision, yes, no, I will do this. I won't do this. 
I am taking personal responsibility for my experience of that decision, whether it goes mm. awry or whether it succeeds, mm. because God is with me. Like mm. I have, sometimes I liken this to like the nervous system. Sometimes the peace of the Holy Spirit can feel like a very calibrated nervous system yeah. where you can say yes without like this inflammatory, like red flag up here saying beep, 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 beep. Yeah. No, no, you have to survive. You have to live. Yeah. That can be also like the language of the Holy Spirit. And I know it may sound strange to people to hear that, but that's actually what helps so many women in particular, like me, who were taught to never trust our bodies. Mm -hmm. That gives so much like relief and so much, oh my gosh, like somatic yeah, safety absolutely. again. Actually, right? interesting that you mentioned that because I actually wrote a post on Facebook today about that very thing. Because whenever I talk yeah. about this, I get, I get accused of being a humanist, right? <laughs> so I, I did this I rant on that. Facebook. I, <laughs> I did this rant on Facebook, like, let me tell you something, buddy. Um, but here's <laughs> the thing. I think what you're saying is so true. And what happens in high control religions, particularly like evangelical or fundamentalist religions, from my experience, is that Anytime a person is is listening to their body or their felt sense or their intuition, it's interpreted as you're following your feelings because because you just want to sin and justify yeah. it. That's how it's yeah. interpreted, it's and interpreted um, and and it's 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 a really really clever control tactic because what is the alternative? Don't follow your feelings. Follow what the Bible says. However, in my experience, nine times out of ten. The phrase what the Bible says is code for what we tell you the Bible says, right? Yeah. And and this is how you yes. end up with women who are in abusive relationships who want to leave, but their church mm -hmm. community forces them to stay because, hey, but I don't feel safe when I'm around this person, but you can't trust your feelings, right? So just follow what the Bible says, which basically, again, um, is code word for what we say, you know? And you're yeah. right. There's a liberation in recognizing that... Um, God has put innate wisdom into our nervous systems, into our bodies. Yes. And what I often tell people is, and, and there's a there's an old phrase in in sort of Adventist history. Uh, we mm. had we had a, one of our founders who had the prophetic gift, right? And and she mm. used this phrase often that it's never safe to go against your conscience. And mm. and she and she didn't mean conscience as shaped by what I think. She meant conscience. Yeah. Period. Right. It's never period. safe to go against your conscience, which is why historically our denomination has always been anti-church and state, because church and oh. state, you know, the church then legislates morality against people's yes. conscience. Right. So, anyways, yes. long story short, what I often tell people is like when you understand mental health, when you understand the nervous system, mm. you understand that mm. it's possible for a nervous system to be hypo aroused. And it's possible for someone's conscience to be warped and hypersensitive. Like that's certainly possible, yes. but that doesn't mean you ignore it. You mm. still listen to it. If you have to go on a journey of enlightenment and cultivation and healing for your nervous system, for, you know, for your conscience, if you have to go on a journey of healing so that you can get them into a good aligned state. That's perfectly fine, but it's never safe to just ignore it and say, no. well, the pastor said this, so I'm just going to listen to that and just shut my brain off. That's never, ever a safe practice. No. So you're, yeah, totally right there. And and this is the thing, right? Like a lot of people, and this is coming from Joe Brown as well, right? And, and, and what I've heard from him and others is that I've met throughout the years <clears throat> is there's, there's an assumption that kind of leads a lot of people when they leave a traditional church environment into new age, mm. it's the assumption mm. that here it's just free. 
and you know I have oh, yeah, perfect autonomy is, and perfect yeah. agency here, and I can just determine my own truth. But the stories that I've heard from yourself and from many others is eh, that's not entirely true, right? There's a lot of gaslighting, a lot of bypassing, um, yeah, even totally. communities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's the um, I I call it because you know how it, within this new age community there's a saying like stop being addicted to suffering right and mm. and that sometimes is code for um you can do what you want without accountability sometimes sometimes because again you're the creator of your reality right so if you're the creator of your reality that means you know it doesn't and again they they never say this there but it kind of means that unconsciously you can build your empire on the shoulders of other people and that goes back to my joke about you know like the retreat centers that host like white people for ayahuasca ceremonies but that the locals can't even yeah. afford you know yeah, that's so what it's I, like that's $2, what I mean. it's like that's creating yeah <laughs> right it's like create that's creating your own reality and kind of like this is so it's disassociation mm -hmm. it's like disassociating yourself from the fact that there is a world out there where your decisions here have implications, right? So like consequences. Um, and I, when I started to, and that's why I never really got deep into like the new age world because I, I was already living inside of a country, first of all, where these experiences are being hosted and, and are happening. So I guess that's where I kind of like fall differently in terms of those who got involved in the new age um i didn't subscribe to the idea that you could manifest after an ayahuasca ceremony or a plant medicine ceremony or that crystals could bring you any sort of like luck or fortitude um because i was already related to the cultures that were being taken advantage of to yeah. be able to create those create those realities when the reality of my people was like, we're we're not paid enough to kind of like to um, to host these events in our in our beaches in our beautiful forests, right? So that's a there's a whole nother layer for me there that I avoided, I guess. What was really interesting for me in the New Age world, which um, I see now, like what you said, there was there was kind of like um, I don't, I don't have to be responsible for anyone else but myself. There's the distortion there. Because if you're living within creation and you are a child of God, then absolutely you're living inside an ecological system. And anything you do has implications on others. Like we can't just live in cloud nine. We can't like live up in Mount Olympus or you know to use a figure of speech yeah. right we're not separate from we're not these little gods that are separate from all the third world people you know who, who mm. we build our empires on the shoulders of so <laughs> i sound like a social justice warrior <laughs> like, um, now nah, preach um, it martine let's go <laughs> but i don't say that in like the woke persuasion of it yeah. i say that in a real lived experience of mm. a woman in in, in this experience, right? So like, to kind of like close this, I've, I've been, and I thank God for it. I thank God for the eyes to see in many directions. Like, first of all, acknowledging that I come from a very complicated country with layers, not just of religious trauma, 
but cultural trauma, mm -hmm. colonialist trauma that we're still trying to break out of. Um, and, and to thank God that I am a, I am a descendant of these lineages, but I can take and learn from the best of what they bring. Like, honestly, I love the West's idealism. I love that. I love that idea that we can reach our potential, mm. right? I love the idea that we can be individuated and sovereign beings. That was really something that I personally learned from the Western persuasion of my upbringing. I also love the global South, the heritage and cultural um, kind of like kaleidoscope of my messy but beautiful heritage of Malay, Bruneian, Chinese. Mm. Um, I think there's some Indian in there, right? <laughs> and like, I belong to part all parts of these cultures. So not everything is demonic. Mm. Not everything is pagan, right? There are beautiful um, cultural, um, natural, um, societal, ancestral aspects of my lineage that don't go against like what I believe, like let's say biblically, so that I can practice my faith in Christ and walk with Christ. Mm. And I never really saw the beauty of who I am. I used to struggle with calling myself beautiful, but the beauty of who I am as this complected, multifaceted daughter of God, until I gave myself permission to deconstruct without losing my faith, and to also be in this beautiful journey of holding. I, I want to separate that from the word healing because sometimes healing, the connotation there is you're not whole. Mm. Well, I feel like the journey with God, and I don't say to God anymore, the journey with God and with Jesus is, you know, like it's both messy and it's beautiful and you can love it and you know, like have cringy moments in the day from it. And it is all okay. It is all like part of the experience. And I feel that that's where I am every single day right now. I'm and, not and trying I, to get somewhere yeah, like up the mountain. Yeah. But I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely love that. And I love the language you use of holding this Holding. holistic experience. I remember I hear, yeah. I heard a preacher many years ago say that the easiest way to understand the holiness is it's mm. being whole. Yeah. You know, that's what God's inviting us into when he says, I want you to be holy. We tend to think of like this sort of puritanical. Yeah. Know, uh, Erase sort of, all the dark yeah, spots. Like this yeah. Victorian sort of way of being. It's like, no, it's, it's, it's about being whole, you know? Now, yeah. Martine, I know you have to leave very, very soon. We've only got a couple minutes here. So first of all, I want to thank you for sharing your story with us. It's been absolutely incredible to, to hear your story and to be able to share the story with our audience as well. I love that your story is multi-storied, right? You, you have so many layers that people, as they listen to you, can connect with so many different parts of your, of your journey. And, and like I said, even for myself, coming from a religious tradition that in many ways is very, very opposite of the religious mm. traditions you have, to see where our stories intersect and mm. the journeys that we've had and, and the place that we've arrived at with this passion for the heart of God 
and for a healing experience or a whole, a holing experience <laughs> with him. Mm, yeah. It's just absolutely incredible. So I wanted to close with just one question. And that was, what would you say to a person right now who is navigating this pain, a pain that you have been through? Perhaps they haven't been on the journey uh, that you've been on of deconstruction and, and, and becoming whole. Uh, perhaps they haven't been on that journey or they're only just getting started and it's hard and there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of weight. What mm. would you say to that person? Oh, yeah, that's well, I would say from from my heart to yours, whoever you are. I know it feels scary, but I encourage you to find someone that you trust who you can open your heart little by little to because that's what it was for me I felt so jaded by church hurt and just how complex religion was designed to be that the what I did like what I said for the first few years was just like shut shut this mm. because I felt that this hurt the most like my heart my existence when you're ready, and I, I, I do mean that with the utmost compassion, because nobody can force you to be ready. You'll know. When you're ready, find, I'm just going to say, maybe talk to Marcos or Candice, you know, like, but find people that when you open your heart with all the things that you feel you want to hide, like, does God exist? Or the question of why is, you know, why, why did why did this happen to me? When you feel safe to open up your heart and ask those questions and know that there are people who are not going to judge you for having them, keep your heart open. Mm -hmm. Like that, that is for me, like the biggest, sometimes for people, it's just the biggest thing that they can do. Right. But it's to, to, to let your heart open even just a little bit and let a person let, let that person in. Um, you don't have to go and read your Bible anymore if you don't want to. That's a huge thing for people, I find, because they're like, okay, Martine, like, what scripture are you going to give me? I'm like, if it's triggering you, I'm not even going to invite you to go there. Go where you feel your heart will open, because God gave you your heart. God gave you your intuition, your discernment, your felt sense, and even if you're felt sense in your nervous system is jacked up right now from all that pain and all that trauma it's still designed to you know get into like parasympathetic mode mm -hmm. so even if what you need to do is not what you might think you need to do to heal with god because usually when people think heal with god oh go to this service go to this pastor go to this person Maybe all you got to do to get your heart open is sit in a field and let the wind and the sound of the birds open it up and tenderize it a bit, mm. you know? So whatever that is that opens up your heart so that it becomes tender and it can open a little bit and you can let a person into, it helps to talk about this with somebody who's been on the journey, then do that. Yeah. Just, just that little thing. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Martine. I would love Thank to you, chat for a whole other hour, 
I know. you've got to go. I know you've got to go. So <laughs> thank you again. If, if, if anyone listening wanted to reach out to you, mm. how do they find you? Yeah. So I'm mostly on Instagram. You can find me at feminine womanhood. So that's my handle because I'm a women's coach. But if you just want to talk about religious stuff, religious trauma stuff, I'm all ears for that. 